get to know yourself a little bit, (laughs) get to know what your goals are, what your mission is. And if you truly want to be passive, look into, you know, avenues that are going to get you there. If you prefer to be hands-on, if you are a handyman or handywoman, you know, maybe fix and flips are are a great option for you, you know, stuff like that. And if you don't mind kind of being a a maid service, then, um, you know, vacation rentals could be an option for you too. And, uh, you know, there's just a lot of ways to make money in real estate. Hey, it's Rod Cleef, author of the best-selling book, How to Create Lifetime Cash Flow Through Multifamily Properties. And I want to tell you, I've got an incredible three-day boot camp coming up in Los Angeles. It's January 17th, 18th, and 19th, and my good friend Adam Adams is coming to add even more value again. And this event is not a sell-a-thon, okay? We, you know, we don't bring in outside speakers to sell you stuff. It's just me with super successful investors like Adam teaching you about this exciting multifamily business and... Because 80 to 90% of your success in anything is your mindset and your psychology. We also teach you how to take massive freaking action with what you learn. So if you're an Adam Adams listener, use that code Adam Adams to get $100 off your already very reasonably priced tickets. Now go to rodinlosangeles.com and use the code Adam Adams. And Adam and I will look forward to seeing you there. So again, that code is Adam Adams at rodinlosangeles.com. We'll see you soon. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by RealBlueSpruce.com. What's up, Facebook? It's your host, Adam A. Adams, and today I'm with Travis Watts, who is a full-time passive investor. So he's been in, uh, just in Joe Fairless's deals, I know he's been in nine of those deals, and he actually works in investor relation, relations with Ashcroft Capital. So what I'm going to do today is for you who wants to know how do you become passive? How do you start making money passively in real estate? Well, Travis has the system and a scalable model to help you to be able to actually start making more money passively through real estate investments and specifically syndications. So, With that said, Travis, will you give me a bit of your history that relates to today's topic? Absolutely, Adam. Thanks so much for having me here today. So I actually, kind of funny story, I set out from day one in real estate to be a passive investor. That was in 2009. I didn't quite understand how to be a passive investor. So I got started on the single family route. And uh, after doing a couple single family homes, started building up a portfolio. I did some fix and flips, some buy and holds. I got into some vacation rentals and obviously and quickly realized that wasn't going to be a passive approach. And so I tried putting some property management companies on my properties. And um, long story short, it was never going to be scalable. For me, it was never going to be completely passive. So sometime around 2015, uh, I kind of went back to the drawing board to figure out how to be passive, went to a bunch of uh, networking groups, listened to a bunch of podcasts, read a bunch of books, kept hearing this word syndication, which I had never heard previously. You know, have you checked out syndication? Are you aware of syndication? You should try one. So I was a little skeptical, a little nervous. I did one and I just sat back about six months and watched the distributions come in and the reporting come in and realized that was uh that was a model that was attainable for me and scalable. And so that's when I kind of made that leap from the single family world into multifamily. All right. So what was your very first step in doing so? 
Did you invest in a syndication or what was the first thing that you did? It was, yeah. So I met a group just out of a, a networking group. It was kind of a friend of a friend scenario. Uh, they were kind of a, a newer group that I worked with and, you know, they had a deal. They were local. I met with them face to face. Didn't really know what I was doing. So I was focusing probably a lot too much on the pro forma and a little less on the team itself. Uh, it was probably the biggest mistake I made early on. But uh, regardless, that's how I got started. I um, I had some liquidity just from the cash flow of my other single family homes. That's what I used as a like a minimum investment with that group. And so that's how I got started. Just one deal, one group, and it was a uh, local to me at that time. So what happens when you focus on the pro forma and not the actual group who's running it? Exactly. So yeah, so I point that out as one of my rookie mistakes. So I had vetted maybe, I don't know, four or five different deals at that point. Um, you know, I'm just simply looking at numbers going, well, this one says it's 10% annualized. This one says it's 12. So I'm going to go with 12, right? That's a higher number without really thinking who's behind the scenes. How are they going to execute on this? Is there any track record associated? Things like that. And, um, Long story short, the deal didn't end up uh, going through as planned. Uh, they were a bit uh, amateur, we'll say. <laughs> so uh, the deal actually came through as being profitable, but uh, the execution plan was completely butchered up. And in hindsight, it's like, man, I really should have been vetting out the group and not that pro forma so much. As a passive investor who knows that you ought to be vetting out a group and not so much the pro forma, what are a few steps or things that you look at that can help the listener who really wants to be as successful as you in being involved in many, many passive investments and that are making returns? So what are some steps that we can kind of look at in order to vet the operator better? That's a good question. I, I start with, or I would recommend starting with, what is your investment philosophy personally, right? I mean, what do you believe in? Are you uh, like, a, do you believe in new development, new construction, luxury housing? Do you believe in uh, B-class or C-class multifamily where you're going to fix something up? And, you know, by the way, there's big differences between a B-class and a C-class property. And so there's a lot that ties into that. There's a lot of education behind the scenes. So I kind of start with what are your beliefs? Do you believe we're at the top of a market cycle and what types of assets do you want to be in? You know, if you're under the belief that we may have a softening of the market and things like that. So start with you, start with your goals, what, what you want, then start looking for groups, start looking at markets that you like, uh, start listening to what people have to say about markets. That's something you can quickly pick up on the more, groups you're involved with, you know, the more you're on online forums, like for example, a bigger pockets, you can quickly identify, you know, what are the uh, landlord uh, tenant friendly states? What are the tax efficient states? You know, things like this. And then as far as uh, to your point, how do you vet out the group or what are some key things? Well, it's always good just to have a, a basic gut check I mean, do you, do you align with these folks? You know, are, are you on the same page or do they seem like they're a little unsettled and, and maybe new to the space or, you know, how comfortable are you? Uh, I try to meet up face to face if person, 
I mean, if possible with the, with the person, with the sponsor, that's not always possible. I understand. Um, however, I, I feel like that's a big value. And then of course the obvious stuff like track record, history, experience, who's on the team, how long they've been doing this, stuff like that. And, um, you know, execution's really what it comes down to is do they have the ability to execute on the business plan. So if they're brand new and it's a huge project and it's a really heavy lift and it's going to take a lot to pull it off, it just may not happen the way that the pro forma states that it should happen. <laughs> so just keep that in mind. <laughs> I'm making a ton of notes. Uh, you're, you're flying through some stuff that I think is obviously very important. And so I'm going to go back and I'm going to ask you a couple of details on how to do the things that you're talking. And if I'm looking off onto the other screen, it's because I've got a lot of notes over here. So okay. let me start. Number one, I've, I've got nine tips that came out, and I don't even think I got all of them, Travis. Okay, so the first one, uh, when we're talking about how to vet an operator, is what is your philosophy? So, so you said beginning right away, you want to understand your own personal investment strategy. What do you think is right? Um, can you go into a bit more detail on just that one small point? Yeah, absolutely. So it all starts with a little bit of self-education, a little bit of thought. If you go out there and you don't know yourself, you don't know what you're looking for, you don't know what your goals are, you don't know what your targets are, how are you going to identify what's a good deal, what's a bad deal, what you should invest in? You're just going to spin your tires looking at hundreds of deals, not making any decisions, getting caught up in analysis paralysis. So I recommend just taking a little bit of time, maybe even getting a mentor, talking with a friend, just to sit down and kind of discuss, you know, what it is that you're really after. Are you more cash flow focused? Are you more equity focused? Do you want to be in a deal for five years? are you okay with being in a deal for 20 years? Um, you know, is multifamily really the sector that makes the most sense for you? Maybe it's not, maybe it's self-storage, you know, but all this stuff is going to be identified through a little bit of self-education. So that's always the first step to me anyway. I love that. A lot of gems in there. Thank you for going into that. The second thing that I noticed that you said, um, was what are your goals? And so you talked about kind of your personality and if you align with multifamily or self-storage or if you align with five years or three years or 20 years or 10 years. Um, but when, when you mentioned that what are your goals, it's really just talking about where you want to go. And I think if you could just dive in and share why that's so important as a passive investor to understand your own goals. Absolutely. So the mistake that I had made back in 2009 when I got in the single family realm was like I said, I wanted to be a, a passive investor, truly passive, truly hands off. Well, <laughs> I didn't have clearly defined goals or a path to get there. Right. So here I am doing fix and flips. What does that have to do with being passive, you know, and then vacation rentals talk about the exact opposite of being passive. It's nothing but hands-on, nonstop. So, you know, I'm, taking, I'm just marching down the wrong road. Like, what the heck? How am I going to get there? This doesn't make any sense. And that sounds obvious now, but as I was kind of in the mix of that, trying to figure it out, it, it wasn't so obvious for me. So I wish I had taken maybe six months, you know, before 2009 to kind of sit down and really map this stuff out, really find a mentor, find some resources, get on online forums, whatever, to help me 
you know, seek a, a path that made sense. So for me, really, at the end of the day, it was about passive income. It was about having the freedom to not be tied down to a job I didn't want or didn't like. And, you know, to have that really requires truly passive income, which I wasn't getting at the time. The third thing that you asked or mentioned um, is what are you looking for in a market or markets? So what, what things in a market are important? What are you looking for? As I understand it, there's several markets that look like they're coming down right now. There's a few that look like they're going up right now. And there's a half a dozen that are just, they've been going stagnant. They're, they're not growing. They're not improving. They're not adding jobs, but they're not shrinking. Um, so let's just talk about markets. What do you look for in, in education, in crime, in jobs, in, in population? What kind of metrics would be helpful for a passive investor who's listening to the show right now who really wants to make sure that they don't get involved in a bad market. Exactly. So you certainly don't have to be uh, an analyst, okay? You don't have to go get a degree in studying markets and economics, but just from a basic high-level understanding, I look at where are people moving, number one. Okay, where, where are they moving out of? Where are they moving into? You know, what are those numbers, stats, and facts? Also, probably equally as important, but most of the time tied into that, where are companies relocating to? Where are companies expanding, you know, their offices and their headquarters? That's obviously going to create jobs. Those are going to be the folks renting the multifamily that you're investing in. So I kind of start with that. And then there's other things I look at, like, um, you know, I invest a lot in Texas and Florida. They're you know, no income tax states, I feel like, you know, it's still got somewhat of affordable housing compared to maybe, you know, California or New York, you know, so they're lower tax states, people are migrating there, uh, jobs are being created there. So that's, that's kind of the, the macro approach that I take is just kind of identifying that then you can dig, you know, a little bit deeper into, uh, I mentioned earlier, tenant landlord laws, things like that. Again, you know, California's going to side more with, with a tenant, whereas maybe Texas is going to side more with a landlord. So if you're going to be, not that you're going to be a landlord per se in these passive deals, but you're going to be on that side of the coin. So it may be beneficial to look at properties in those areas. So that that's, and then, you know, all the rest is stuff that I'm going to leave up to the group to kind of fill me in on, right? Like why, like I can't study every submarket in every state all the time, you know? So if someone's got a deal in Texas, I'm gonna say, okay, what submarket? Why do you like Irving, Texas? Tell me about Irving. I don't know anything about Irving. I haven't been there. So then they're gonna talk about what specifically is happening right there in that sector in the last 12 months. It's education piece, right? I've already decided I like Texas. Now I'm gonna learn about that submarket. Okay, love it. Love it. You also talked about um, landlord-friendly laws, number four, and tax-efficient laws. Um, tell me why it would, it would be important to, for instance, not go to a state or a city where it was very tenant-friendly. Right. Yeah, good question. So if it comes to something like an eviction, right, which is going to come up, whether you're in single-family realm or multifamily over time, right, it's just a matter of time. Uh, what's that process look like? Well, f 
from a high level, what that might look like in, in a state like California, uh, worst case scenario is, you know, many, many months of trying to evict someone, right? And then you're going to get involved potentially in some lawsuits and things like that, or the group will. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's just kind of a loss of revenue and a pain in the butt, whether or not you're having to deal with it directly, that's something to consider. And in other states, I mean, you, you can, you know, get through that process very quickly, much more uh, efficiently. And then to your point with the, with the taxes, you know, a lot of people are leaving high tax states. Um, you know, obviously, I mean, you, you know, like in California, you're paying between 10 and 13% state income tax. And, you know, Texas isn't too far away where you're going to pay zero. And so that can be, you know, think about someone making, you know, hundred grand a year. I mean, that, that adds up, you know, 10 to 13,000 a year in savings that can directly offset your rent and, you know, increase your lifestyle in addition to housing being more affordable in general, right? Rent being possibly half of what you were paying before. So it just makes sense. Um, you know, ever since our uh, tax reform, uh, a lot of people are finally waking up as they're <laughs> filing tax returns and going, wait a second, you know, this isn't, uh, I don't have as many as advantages as I had maybe five years ago. So uh, number six that I wanted to ask you about um, it was very interesting. There's a lot of people out there that say that they have the skills or the intuition um, to really give a good gut check and to really understand if this is going to go to the next level, if their money's going to be safe. And there's a lot of people that that don't trust their gut. They're they're like they're saying, um, "Well, I've made a lot of mistakes in the past." when I trusted my gut and I've either lost out on money or I've lost out on this other thing. So if, if you wouldn't mind going into number six, mm-hmm. uh, gut checking with your sponsor, um, share with me a little bit of, of insight either on how we can do that or how we can trust ourselves or our, um, if there's any other ways around it, if we don't trust our own um, gut check. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So I guess, from my standpoint, I feel like I have a bit of intuition myself. So I guess maybe this isn't uh, necessarily the most effective for everyone, as you pointed out. But um, anytime you can meet with somebody face to face in person, I just feel like that's the best way, right? And, and so if you're getting a feeling that you're talking to the used car salesman, you know, that's just getting rolling, you know, it it just may not, it may be more of a sales pitch than it is a good opportunity. And to be able to try to like read between the lines, it's much easier than taking a phone call or just looking at a pro forma and and somebody's, you know, uh, headshot picture and then saying, well, that looks like a trustworthy person. It would be to your advantage to try to get to know that person a little bit. If you yourself can't, can't trust your intuition or have made bad choices in the past, bring a friend, bring a mentor, bring a spouse, you know, right? Partner up with someone and, hey, we're going to go meet with, with this person or maybe have a call like this, like a Zoom call or a Skype call. And, you know, you just let me know if you pick up on anything or, or see any red flags, you know, because I struggle with that. That could be an option for you too. I love it. That's good info. The next three that I picked up on, number seven, number eight, and number nine, are all kind of uh, similar with each other. So uh, we want to talk about the track record. You said that that was a big deal. Um, And initially you didn't do that and kind of what happened 
or what can happen if you really focus on understanding the track record. You talked about the ability to execute a business plan, which I think is is huge. I think that there's a lot of people out there where you'll have two teams and the same exact business plan, but one of them is going to have a better ability to execute that. And I want you to be, uh, I want you to go into a little bit more detail on that and what we can be looking for. And number nine, the credibility of the operator. Just um, how do you find out that credibility? So if, if you wouldn't mind, uh, it's track record, ability to execute the business plan, and their, the operator's credibility. Gotcha. Yep. So starting out with, uh, with track record. So it's not that, you know, you shouldn't invest with people that don't have the track record. I mean, everyone's got to start somewhere. Right. And so I'm speaking just from my personal experience and a couple deals that I did where I put way too much emphasis on a pro forma without even really asking the team any questions, you know, about this kind of stuff. And I'll tell you what happened with, with those deals. One of the groups, didn't properly allocate for a, a CapEx budget, capital expenditures. Uh, on that particular property, they had an unforeseen event come up. Several units uh, had a fire and um, they got burned. And basically, long story short, even though insurance was going to cover that, there was a big delay and there was an occupancy drop and there were issues with, you know, who do we use to do what and surveys and all this kind of stuff. They They needed to pay some expenses out of pocket and there was not an inadequate CapEx budget. So what they had to do was use the cash flow from the property. And what that meant was distributions were cut off and those distributions were cut off for six or nine months or something like that. So, um, you know, that's not a, a great scenario, you know, had they properly allocated, they could have kept paying distributions and been able to, you know, get reimbursed for these expenses later. It, it wouldn't have been such a hiccup for the investors. Uh, the other deal was uh, a bad partnership they had made with a property management group. Um, again, back to track record, reputation, things like that. It was like, hey, here's a group. Why not use them? They're cheap you know, whatever that decision w was made off of, this was a newer group thinking, hey, we'll just choose anyone and, and everyone, right? Whoever's willing to raise their hand, they're our property manager. Well, they ended up uh, kind of fudging some numbers and, and pocketing some money on the side for themselves. And it ended up being a really bad deal where we had to not only fire them, of course, but then we had a drop in occupancy because there was a you know, a changeover that we had to make and things like that. So the, the point being, without getting in the weeds there, is that, you know, the, the groups didn't have solid connections. They didn't have solid track record. They hadn't really been through these unforeseen events before, and they really didn't know what to do. And so, you know, that's why I feel like that's, that's so important uh, when I talk about track record is, you know, if you've done four or five, six of these things, you know, you, you've come across these types of situations. You've now built a plan to not have them come up again. But again, I recognize everyone has to start somewhere, but it's just been our experience, my wife and I, that, you know, we, that's why we look for track record so much. How do you, how do you find um, credibility and how do you know if an operating team can actually execute the specific business plan that they're showing you? Mm-hmm. I think it comes down to a lot of q and I think as a passive investor, you've got to be asking the difficult questions, right? You've got to be saying, who's on your team? What's your network? Have you used these property management groups before? Have you done deals like this before? 
how long you've been doing it, you know, all that kind of stuff that we just talked about. Um, and you know, for me personally, because I, I'm kind of more of a, a networker, right? I like to get out there and go to conferences and events and real estate meetups and forums. I get a lot of word of mouth referrals. Um, you know, you just naturally come across that, right? When you're at events, hey, you ever work with this group? Oh, yeah, you know, I've invested with them in a couple of deals. Oh, really? What was that experience like? And, you know, after you get like three, four, five of, you know, running into folks like that, it's like, Maybe I ought to consider that group, you know, so, so I kind of pick up on, on credibility that way. You can definitely call the sponsor and say, Hey, give me three referrals. Well, they're probably going to give you their, their, the three biggest fans. So you might want to branch out. It's still a good idea to do that, but you may want to branch out a little more than that or kind of circumvent that, that traditional system possibly. Awesome. Uh, And we've got on the Facebook live. So, those of you who are listening to this on the podcast, we also record most of these episodes, at least 90% of them, on Facebook Live. And Colin's saying hi to you, Travis. He met you in Denver when you came to the Raising Money Summit. Nice. Paige is saying hi. Josh is, Davis is, is saying good morning. And uh, Brandon who Chandler, who actually was listening to you talk about the track record and the credibility and the gut check. Um, He mentioned that there's a lot of people that he's come across that they might seem very trustworthy, but they actually aren't. He says a lot of those people that you think are the most trustworthy um, are not. So be cautious. Um, So that's who's listening on the Facebook live right now. I want to ask you before we get into the final five questions that we ask every guest, Mm -hmm. Travis, is there any other tips, tricks, and strategies that we didn't cover when it comes to uh, being a safe passive investor that you'd like to mention right now? Mm, Wow. I think as we already alluded to and talked about briefly, get to know yourself a little bit. (laughs) Get to know what your goals are, what your mission is. And if you truly want to be passive, look into you know, avenues that are going to get you there. If you prefer to be hands-on, if you, you know, are, are a handyman or handywoman, you know, maybe fix and flips are, are a great option for you, you know, stuff like that. And if you don't mind, you know, kind of being a, a maid service, then, um, you know, vacation rentals could be an option for you too. And, uh, you know, there's just a lot of ways to make money in real estate. And, uh, you know, for me, it was, uh, a five-year learning curve to understand how to be a passive investor. And I don't know if I would have jumped into it right away because it does take a, a fair bit of capital to be a, a passive investor. So you need a source to make money. So you could do that through fix and flips. You can do it through a, a, a high paying job. You know, you could do it a lot of ways being a business owner, but at the end of the day, decide, you know, what it is you really want to do and, and seek a mentor and go after that. Awesome. Awesome. Brandon is especially watch the preacher, (laughs) Carrie uh, Bednar's great info. Thank you both for giving value. So yeah, thank you, Travis, for being on the show. We're going to hop into the final five questions, but first a quick word from our sponsor. As you know, the holidays are just around the corner and my sweetheart and I have been trying to figure out what we can do for other people to kind of just give back. And one thing that we've found is that we can actually buy toys for foster children. So that's one of the things that we're going to be focusing on this holiday season. And if you'd like to be a part of that, number one, 
send me an email and I'll let you know of all the drop-off points that are here in the Denver area in case you're local. And if you're not local and you are one of our past investors and you're planning on investing in this next deal, if you're at the $150,000 level or more, I want to go ahead and buy some toys in your name and I'll donate them in your name and I'll just go ahead and take them to that drop-off spot. So for more information to this amazing cause or to invest passively with us in one of our deals, scroll down, there's gonna be a link and you can get a little bit more information. Send me an email and I'd be happy to partner with you on helping some foster kids get some toys. All right, Mr. Travis Watts, what's the most creative deal you've ever done? The most creative deal I think I've ever done was actually the first deal I ever did. It was kind of interesting. I bought a condo. I started to house hack it as I was an owner occupant. At the time, the uh, IRS was uh, going to give you $8,000 as a tax credit for a first time home buyer. Took advantage of that. Realized after house hacking, if I furnished the bedroom, I got even more uh, income. Once I did that, it was paying uh, for my mortgage, which was a huge eye-opener. Then I ended up moving out of it later, and I put two tenants in there, fully furnished, and then I made a, a full-time rental after that. So that house went through a lot of uh, creativity over about a five-year period. <laughs> I love it. What year was that that you bought that? 2009. 2009. Okay, I, I bought... I bought a property almost the same in 2008. And what's interesting is in 2007, you get those $8,000 tax credits and they literally just give it to you. In 2008, they give it to you and they make you pay it back. And then 2009, they give it to you. So I bought the very wrong year ever. Uh, So I, I had to pay that back. But I thought that was interesting. I was very curious. What's a book that you recommend, Travis? A book I recommend is Tax Free Wealth by Tom Wheelwright. That book alone literally has probably saved me $60,000 in taxes easily just over a few years by implementing some of the steps in there. Uh, Will you tell me a little bit about what it looked like for you five years ago? What were you going through? What were you stressed about? What did you own uh, five years ago? Yeah, five years ago was was my big transition year. That was that was really going back to the drawing board and saying the single family stuff isn't going to work for me. What the heck am I going to do? I had everything in my head from forget real estate, I'm done with it, I'm doing something different to there's got to be something else out there that's going to work for me. And so that was my evolution into passive investing five years ago. Where do you plan to be five years from today? I hope to, let's see, in five years, that's interesting, probably be another 50% ahead of where I am right now. Much more passive deals, you know, increasing my, my cash flow by 50% of where I am right now. Uh, every 10 years, I'm kind of looking to double, if possible, what I'm doing currently. How do you give back? We give back. Actually, we've been giving back more this year than ever before. My wife and I do a lot of uh, charity events for anything from the the Denver Rescue Mission to the, you know, Ronald McDonald House to, you know, anything that's usually local events and things like that. And um, that's just been our form for the last, I don't know, couple of years. That's what we've been doing. So. Carrie on the, um, on the Facebook Live says, you got to pay it forward. You got to pay it forward. So I, I couldn't agree more. Um, now, there's a lot of people that are listening. They, they know that you've been passive in tons and tons of deals. They might not have done a deal yet, they, but they're, they want to. They're, maybe they're scared of it. They have a few hundred grand. They need to kind of place it. You might be a good resource. How do people find you or, or get a hold of you? 
Yep, you can reach me. I'm on uh, Bigger Pockets. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. Um, you know, you can reach out AshcroftCapital.com. You'll find me there. So uh, definitely, you know, let's sync up and, and have a chat. Awesome. I really enjoyed having you on the on the podcast today. I really appreciate your time. Very generous of you to go through all of these different details that it's going to help somebody else to be successful in a passive investment, just like you have been. I'm going to let you go, but until next time, my friend, think outside the box. I hope you got value out of today's episode. I appreciate you keep coming back on multiple episodes and listening time and time again. Make sure that you hit that subscribe button. And if you would do me a giant favor, it helps the podcast a lot. When you hit that subscribe button, there's a place to rate the show and give us a review. And as a reminder, it is the holiday season. And if you'd like to be a part of bringing toys to foster children, scroll down, grab that link, and let's make it happen.